how do you represent people? How do you take care of people? How do you work with people when you've never spent a day in their shoes? That's Glenn Lerner, founder of Lerner and Rowe Injury Attorneys. I wanted to work these hard jobs to know what people really were going through, because most people work in jobs like this. So when I'm a lawyer someday, how do I understand somebody? How do I talk to somebody? How do I communicate somebody if they've ever done what they've done? And you know, they used to say I was the best garbage man ever. I was the hardest worker ever. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. Glenn Lerner built his law firm on the foundation of one major guiding principle. Anything worth doing is worth doing big. No matter what happens, Glenn believes there's always a way to come out on top. Just because business has gone down, you're going to cry. You figure out how to reinvent yourself. Life's about adapting. Adversity breeds opportunity. And I think we're going to be so much bigger, stronger, and faster when this thing's over. We're just looking to steamroll places now. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Glenn Lerner has taken his fair share of criticism from those in the legal industry who may not agree with his approach to growing his firm. Where does this divisiveness come from? And does Glenn believe there's any truth to it? I think a lot of people just think I'm a model, a male model impersonating an attorney. And so I think that causes some divisiveness. Now, you're supposed to say all joking aside, but I don't say that. The truth is, I just think the way we advertise, I think... There's a lot of self-facing humor in our commercials. And I think, you know, some of the old guard has always been, you know, to a certain extent guarded about the profession. You know, we attorneys, we're an honorable profession, but these same guys are doing all sorts of backroom crap and everything. I think we try to conduct ourselves in a really, yeah, we're just regular guys. I think that's what we're trying to really convey. We're just, a, we're just two approachable regular guys. And if other people don't like that, I really don't give a crap. Would you say that you've been, you know, misjudged to some extent? Because you just mentioned, for example, like w- the way in which you're marketing it in a way has always been larger than life. And there are the, the pundits that say, look, that's not truly practicing law. That's not how you know, trial lawyers should be behaving. Well, what are your thoughts on that? I think I'm no longer looking at myself as a day-to-day trial lawyer. I was actually a very good trial lawyer when I was a lot younger. I've been doing this. This will be my 30th year. But at some point you realize, you know, now that we have close to 500 employees and, you know, 28 offices in nine states, you start, I run a business now. I'm a businessman. I'm just in the business of law. So, you know, we have 50, 60 lawyers that work for us and, you know, we have to make it rain. We have to get the business to come in. And that's what's worked for us. You know, what works for me doesn't necessarily work for other people. I think it just works for my personality, for my partner's personality. And we've been successful with it. You know, if you don't like me for that, that's up to you. So let's go back to like young Glenn Lerner, you know, to the very beginning. Was there something that drove you to enter the practice of law? I mean, was it, was it a calling for you? Like essentially, how did you originally get into this? 
I grew up differently than I guess a lot of other guys. I grew up uh, when I was five years old, my daddy went to jail for double murder. So until I finished my second year of law school, you know, the only time I saw my daddy was in jail. But I, I think it shaped who I was. It made me very tough. You know, because of it, you would expect the child of an inmate, especially a guy in jail for murder, to be, you know, probably go down that same path. But, you know, my daddy, even though he wasn't at home, he was really on top of us. I had a great mom, got into Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, and Duke. I was one of the best soccer players in the country when I was young. And you wouldn't expect that. That's a tribute to my parents and how dedicated they were to making sure we didn't become what everybody expected us to become. And from what I've heard, you've worked a number of different odd jobs, you know, the, throughout your, your younger life, including, if, if I'm not mistaken, even a garbage man. Is that right? Uh, when I was in college, I worked in the back of a garbage truck in the summers. I was a teamster because I always knew. I mean, I was a Duke at the time and I was going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. How do you represent people? How do you take care of people? How do you work with people when you've never spent a day in their shoes? So I wanted to work these hard jobs to know what people really were going through, because most people work in jobs like this. So when I'm a lawyer someday, how do I understand somebody? How do I talk to somebody? How do I communicate somebody if they've never done what they've done? And, you know, they used to say I was the best garbage man ever. I was the hardest worker ever. It's really easy to work hard when you know you're just doing this for the summer and getting in shape for soccer. When you got to do this for 30 years, that's hard. It's hard to sustain that. So it 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 was great for me to just understand people. What led you down the practice of law specifically? I was actually going to be a doctor, and I just realized I didn't like the sight of blood. (laughs) (laughs) And so I finished, uh, when I was done at Duke, I had no idea what I was going to do really. And the only school that still was accepting applications late in the year, I was actually, I had actually applied to Duke, but one of the professors had not submitted my recommendation. I don't know if that was saying something. I was left with one or two choices. And one of those choices was Tulane in New Orleans. And so I got accepted and um, I ended up going to law school. And I actually, law school was probably the three best years of my life, especially down in New Orleans. Once Glenn started practicing law, he quickly learned that he was unemployable, meaning that he wasn't cut out to work for anyone else. But how did he get clients early on? And how did he establish himself as a household name? So I went down and um, shot some commercials in August of 1998. And my first month advertising, one call, that's all. I spent $10,000 on TV in Vegas and I got 66 new clients. I wish it was the same rate of return now. I was like, uh-oh, I think we stumbled onto something here. And kind of that was it. I just took every cent I made. I kept every cent I had in the world. I stuck into advertising. I started at 10000 I uh, did that for a few months, then went up to 20000 did that for a few months, 40000 and it just skyrocketed. And now it's $25 million a year. You know, people say, how should I spend? Start off slow. Put all your money back into the business. Don't go buy a big house the second you get a settlement. Put it back into your business and grow it. And then eventually you'll, you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. Now, the time at which you started advertising, there weren't a lot of advertising lawyers. So what was it, I guess, that you know, compelled you almost from the onset to go against the grain? You know what? I think Vegas was the perfect place for a guy like me. You know, everybody that meets me, I, I am what I am. I have a big personality. I have a big smile. It's called Friends of Glenn. Half the people that call in, we represent, probably sign up close to 20,000 new car accidents a year. Half of them say they're my friend. 
<laughs> so I think I have that way of making people feel like they're my friend and they know me as something. But it, it just worked. It was uh, just the right market for my personality. And, you know, where else, you know, only in a few places, you know, I reckon John down in Orlando, Morris in New Orleans and a couple other guys, you know, I've been named the most known person in the state of Nevada. That's crazy when you think about it. And now even all these other markets we are around the country, it's amazing how television lets people know you and they feel like they know you and they get used to you. So, Glenn, obviously, you've got a very, very unique personality. And even from the onset, I'm wondering, how did you know to lean into that? And were you concerned about how that could be perceived, you know, when you in terms of whether it would work or not, you know, whether it would be well regarded, not well regarded? Like, I guess just even from the very beginning. Somebody saw me in trial once and they said, man, how'd you get so good in front of a jury? And I said, you know what, man, if I can convince a girl down in the French Quarter to give me your phone number at 3.30 in the morning when I'm drunk. You don't think I can convince a jury of eight people that aren't smart enough to get out of jury duty of anything I want? And I always thought of the public just as a jury. You know, that's all it is. I mean, this is that's all this is when you advertise. That's the jury out there. Do they approve of you or disapprove of you? You know, the verdict is, are they calling you or not? You know, a lot of guys will spend the money, but the verdict's in. They liked Glenn Lerner more. Now, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about just knowing thyself. It, it seems like come up every single podcast when we do it. But when you think about, you know, yourself as Glenn Lerner, like how would you describe that to somebody else? Everybody always thinks I have a big personality, I have a big ego, but I actually have zero ego. I just want to win. I have zero interest in looking good or this or that. I like winning. I like, I'm the number one win-win guy of all time. I won't do something if somebody else doesn't win as well. If anybody's going to get the short end of the stick, I'd rather have the short end of the stick because life's too short to have people resenting that they did business with you or not being happy about the relationship. And we really strive for that with our clients. I mean, not everybody's going to be satisfied. I mean, in this business, especially when you're an advertising attorney, you get a lot of people that have unreasonable expectations. It, it is what it is, but you do the best you can to curb those expectations and just make everybody feel like they've been heard. You know, there's a restaurateur, Danny Myers in New York. He's one of the most famous restaurateurs in America. He's got about 3000 employees. And I used to operate under the assumption that the customer is always right. And that was such a mistake to operate that way. Danny Myers wrote one time, he said, everybody always operates under the assumption the customer is always right. But if the customer is always right, what you're doing is pitting the customer against your employee and you're going to make your employee wrong automatically. And I was thinking, man, if I'm always saying the customer's right and taking this side that I'm, I'm throwing my employees out there to the wolves, I'm throwing them under the bus. What he said, the customer isn't always right. Nobody's always right. That's a fallacy. But what's true is the customer always wants to be heard. And that's an important thing to recognize. I think it changed the, the dynamic in our office. Um, we're culture guys, so I think that was a really important thing for us. Back to when you first started the firm, I imagine you had a vision. Did you ever see it becoming what it is today in, in terms of the sheer, sheer scale of the firm? I think once we became the largest firm in Vegas in terms of volume and everything, by took us about two years from 98 to 2000 to really be doing a volume that no one's ever done in Vegas and really has never even been close for a long time. Unfortunately, I have, I think it's called faulty wiring. 
this need to always push it, never be satisfied. You know, I was, gosh, you know, I was doing better than I could have ever imagined in my whole life by the mid 2000s, 2004, 2005. You know, I could pinch myself. I could never imagine, you know, the type of life I'd be blessed with. But I had to prove to myself I could do it in another market. And so, you know, I, Kevin Rowe had been working uh, with me since 1998, and I told him, hey, Kev, go get licensed in Arizona, and I'll give you a piece of the practice. And he did, and we opened up. I needed to prove I wasn't a one-hit wonder, I think. That was a big thing for me. I needed to prove that to myself. And we went down, and within about three, four years, it took a lot of money. But, um, you know, we took over the Phoenix market. And once we did that, and once we were cash flowing positively, I said, man, now I need to prove I can do it one of the biggest markets in the country. And so we went to Chicago and same thing. And then that, 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 you know, it just is what it is. I, I call it faulty wiring. I wish I could have been like other people and just been satisfied with born market or, you know, whatever. There's a, there's certainly a tortured existence, never being satisfied. I know another guy like that is John, you know, it just is some people are wired that way. And like you said, knowing thyself, it certainly seems like, you know, you know yourself, but how do you define success? It's certainly not money. Gosh, um, it's certainly not your business, your practice. I think, you know, touching people, my success, I think, is obviously most fundamental relationship, relationship with God. And I've been incredibly blessed. You know, I came to Christ. I'm a Jewish kid who came to Christ on uh, April 26, 2006. And what he's done in my life in the last 14 plus years, what he's done in my marriage as a father. So that's success. My marriage is a, is absolutely a success. I think I'm a, I'm a really good dad. So those, those are tantamount to anything else. As a business, yeah, we, we make money. So what? They're, you know, I mean, look at Jeff Bezos. He makes lots of money. I don't, is he successful? I don't know. You know, he just got divorced and gave away half his money to his ex-wife. I don't know. I think everybody defines it differently. I define it based on relationships, not on money. And I think you either love me or you hate me, but I think everybody will say one thing. I mean, I'm a rock solid guy. Building a massive national law firm is not for the faint of heart, but Glenn is no stranger to dealing with adversity. I asked him to share a few of his most challenging experiences. I had all the crap that happened with BP about seven years ago. And it was just wrong place, wrong time. It was, I, for me, that was so painful to have my name muddied like that. And I didn't do a doggone thing. And it took me, oh gosh, I spent over $4 million clearing my name. Everything got dismissed. But it still hurt to have your name bandied about like that around the country. And the guys in the know know knew I did nothing wrong. But still, even now, people can still find it on Google. Buried many pages down. But I think no matter what happens, it makes you stronger. You know, for a while, it was always in the back of my mind. I said, how could this have happened? But it is what it is. You know, and I, I never quit. And, you know, a lot of people, oh, Glenn's business is going down. Oh, Glenn's done for. But that was fine. My business during that period of time tripled in size. I'm a grinder. You know, I think that's the best way to describe myself. I am a grinder, man. Whatever life throws at me, I put my head down. I'm married to a grinder. No matter what life throws at her, my wife puts her head down. You know, she's an incredibly strong woman of faith. And I think just just don't ever quit. I refuse to quit. I've grown up too tough. I have had too much coming my way. That, And I think that's a big difference between people, guys like myself, guys. You know, I know John's story. You know, I think a lot of the younger kids growing up playing video games instead of fighting and all this stuff, they're different. They have different intestinal fortitude. I have what's called intestinal fortitude. Most people don't have it. Most people, the first sign of crisis, trouble, 
they just crumble. Everybody always comes to me when there's a crisis or trouble because I'm a cool cucumber when things are going bad. I'm just, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get through it. You know, just like right now with the COVID-19, it is what it is. It's hit every practice. It's hit you. It's hit me. And it's, I mean, it's colossal. What do you do? I mean, you wake up sometimes with a pit in your stomach. Everybody does right now. But we're still open. We're still grinding it out right now. I think about all my friends that have restaurants. You know, we're handling these business interruption claims for people all over the country. Man, you see the money people are losing in this. For some of these businesses, there's no hope. No hope for a comeback. 40% of American restaurants will probably stay shuttered. It's tough. So just because business has gone down, you're going to cry. You figure out how to reinvent yourself. Life's about adapting. Adversity breeds opportunity. And I think we're going to be so much bigger, stronger, and faster when this thing's over. We're just looking to steamroll places now. Now, when I spoke with John on the podcast, one of the things he talked about was, you know, waking up in cold sweats. And even as the firm was growing, you know, his his mantra was that only the paranoid survive. Do you, do you experience any of that? No, I have, I have no paranoia. God's in control of everything. I don't worry about that. I just do my job. You know, my, my mantra involves two people on this planet, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And every time I speak, I talk about the two of them because I think they could be two of the greatest corporate CEOs of all time. All they talk about is having a clearly defined process, getting people to buy into that vision, and then ultimately do your job. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they put people in positions where they can't succeed. Give everybody the best opportunity to succeed and then just do your job. There has to be accountability. If people do their job, they're going to screw up sometimes. Let them screw up. They're going to learn from it, use it as learning experiences, move on. Only certain things that are unforgivable. Anybody can do our jobs. I mean, you know, lawyers try to act like, oh, my God, I'm a genius. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. I could try to monkey to do what I do or what anybody else in my business does. It's not rocket science. I want people that usually that haven't worked for other people. We love we love hiring from our people. You know, so you start with a girl that's been a receptionist or a guy that's been a receptionist and they move up the ladder because they bought into the culture. For us, culture is everything. And you mentioned that earlier when we talked about culture. How has the firm culture evolved over the years? Much better leadership from the top down, you know. Um, so the day-to-day is managed by my partner, Kevin Rowe. Kevin's much better at the detail stuff than I am. I'm a vision guy. I see the, you know, I, I like see the I see the whole chess game really well. But I can't be troubled with moving my pawn and this and that. I get you know, a butterfly goes by and I go start chasing the butterfly. That's just how I, I'm, that's, that's how I'm wired. So I say, okay, Kevin, you sit in the corner office. This is your job. You do this. And he's great at it. He is so good. I mean, I'm, I could not be prouder to call anybody a partner than Kevin. What, how he's learned uh, to manage people. Originally, when he was managing people about 20 years ago, he was a little bit of a dictator. But he's grown so incredibly. I mean, I'm just, if you see him put on office meetings, you know, sometimes we'll have, you know, a couple hundred people on a Zoom meeting or this or that and get people coming in and the accolades and how he runs it. I am just amazed. I can't do that. That's just not me. I don't have that attention to detail, but I'm good at seeing the whole, the whole playing field, you know, it just, and so I think, why would I try to do something that I'm not good at? And I'm better at doing that than he is, you know? seeing the whole playing field and the vision. So he trusts me to grow the firm and with the vision and the relationships around the country, I'm the relationship guy. And he stays focused on just the day to day. It's just a great partnership in that respect. Being so tuned into people and what makes them tick 
it's no wonder that Glenn had a knack for law firm advertising. I asked him to share some of his favorite strategies for marketing his firm. I like little jingles. I like catchphrases. It's just keep it simple, stupid. I see all these guys going on TV and they're mean and they're angry. Like That's what people want. If you haven't learned anything by watching TV your whole life, look at every ad. I always watch the Tidy Bowl Man. I love the Tidy Bowl Man because you think about it, they, they made toilets fun. Little guy going down the toilet and everybody's laughing and it's fun. Commercials are about humor. That's how you connect with people's humor. Nine out of 10 commercials involve some degree of humor. And I said, I got that personality, you know, let me just work to what's me. I can't come across as the mean guy. It's just not who I am. I have a big smile. I have a big personality. I have nice teeth. Let me use what I have. And so that's what we stuck with. And it's, you know, it's worked for us. Well, so we talk about advertising, for example, and there could be someone that's listening to this and thinking, okay, you know, Glenn either got lucky or just poured a lot of money into advertising. But as this was happening and as the phone calls were coming in, and I imagine that there was a tremendous amount of infrastructure that needed to be in place in order to move these cases forward. Speak to me about that aspect. It's called learning and growing by screwing up continuously. You know, you only learn from your mistakes. Gosh, I don't think there's no book on how to do this right. It was only countless mistakes dropping the ball, this or that, but that's how every single person grows. We have this recipe for success, but it's taken a lot of time and a lot of mistakes, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of wasted money, but you finally get the um, potion, you know, it, but it took some time. Well, and it seems like it's taken, you know, over the last 30 years, when you look back, what are a few of the decisions that you've made that you believe have had the greatest impact on your success and the success of the firm? Well, I certainly think starting to, you know, do the TV advertising and the way we advertised, you know, advertising to our strengths. So these approachability, these fun commercials that make us approachable, regular guys, you know, I can't even tell you how many thousands of times that we've had people call, man, I'm not an accident, but man, if you guys ever want to go for a beer, you just seem like cool guys. That's a good, that means it's working. That's what we're trying to convey approachability. I'm at a loss for words sometimes because I think so much of this has been trial and error until you finally get to that point where you realize this is what works. This is going to be our process going forward. And you just expand upon this. I think whether it's 10 people or, you know, like 500, like we are now, it's the same thing. I think you have to give people a vision though. You got to have those processes in place. I think really just treating your people the right way. People don't work for us. They work with us. We call everybody teammates. And it's even everybody knows I'm the boss. Everybody knows I'm the head honcho. I don't try to lord that over anybody. I'm only as good as the weakest link in that chain, obviously, because we have you know a bunch of offices and I live all over the place. But when I'm in any of the offices, I go by and I say hi to every single person and I try to know every single person. It gets a little harder to know people over time, but the people you know and you've known and had relationships for a long time, you want to show you care and not fake showing you care, but really care. And I've been with my wife 21 years and some of these people have been with me longer than I've been with my wife. I think we, we offer people a really great place to work. You know, one thing you have to remember as a business owner, nobody wants to work. You know, I used to tell the ladies in my office, hey, it'd be nice to be Mrs. Learner. You know, it's a nice life. You get to, you kind of travel a lot. You live in a couple different places around the country. It's, you've been blessed. But you know what? It ain't in the cards for everybody. And so when you guys are here, 
I'm going to try to make this the best nine hours a day you spend, you know, eight hours plus your hour of lunch. I want this to be the best place because I know the way we treat our people, the respect we show them, the way we make them feel important, that affects when they go home. It affects their personal life with their husband, with their wife, with their children. I mean, I never wanted to be that boss that was yelling at people or denigrating people. I don't think I've ever yelled at anybody in 29 years. Sure as heck have fired people. You know, we give you enough chances to rehabilitate yourself, but some people are past rehabilitation. But I don't ever yell at people. It's not in my nature. You guys have now had it, it consistently several nine-figure years over the last let's say 20, 30 years. You brought in well over a billion dollars. I think several billion dollars with with the verdicts. And you know, you're saying you're a grinder and you work hard. There's a lot of hardworking people out there, but there's very few, if any, Glenn learners. What do you think is the biggest difference between the success that you have seen versus somebody else who may be, you know, they may be taking risks, they may be working hard, but they're just not, you know, anywhere near the level you're at? I think a lot of things, are, you know, certainly depends on your markets you're in. Some markets are better than others. My best market for so long in the market that built everything for me was Vegas. Vegas is my smallest market now. You know, it's just, it is what it is. I think it's cyclical. I think playing to your strengths, identifying talent, rewarding talent. And I think, um, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Too many guys drink the Kool-Aid and they think once they've made a few shekels, they're superstars or big shots. There's always somebody bigger than you, always someone better than you. Just be thankful. Treat everybody nicely with respect. You know, I, I see all these guys. I've, you know, a couple of my biggest competitors are kids that used to work for me. And, um, you know, sometimes you just see them. They the first time they make a they get a big settlement. They're buying a house. They want to be your neighbor or whatever. You know, it is what it is. I, I just never drank my own Kool Aid. You know, people think because you've done well, or because you you have a decent life and you make a few shekels that you take yourself seriously. But I never have. You know, I'm just very blessed and I'm thankful. And I just never forgot where I came from. I am one guy who never ever forgot where I came from. And a part of that, maintaining that perspective has obviously been very helpful to you. What are some of the challenges that you ran into when you were expanding the practice on the way to really becoming arguably a national powerhouse? The hardest part about it growing always is trying to find the right people to put your trust in. Because in any market, you know, now that I don't live in Vegas anymore, I need somebody I can really trust in Vegas. You know, I have, I've had a guy that's been with me in Vegas for a better part of 15 years. He's just, he's just a really solid man. He's not flashy, nothing, but he's a person you can rely on. And we have great people and we have continuity. We've had the same people for so long. I think continuity is an incredibly important thing. Turnover is a killer. Finding people you can really lean on, though, and that can help you. But you can't do this yourself. You know, because remember, the hardest part about this model for any advertiser is you, you, you become a quasi-celebrity. And I always call it a quasi-celebrity. Everybody says you're a celebrity. I'm not a celebrity. Celebrities get paid to be known. I pay to be known. I'm a quasi-celebrity. But when you've created this sort of celebrity, you're spending millions in every market, you know, like I said, 25 million a year, people see you a lot. They feel like they know you. When they call, they want to meet Glenn Lerner. They want to meet Kevin Rowe. I'm in Arizona right now. I'm not in Chicago this week. I'm in Chicago. I'm not in Arizona. I'm the Wizard of Oz now unfortunately. And I wish, man, I miss the old days when I used to take the calls. I used to do the sign up. I used to shake hands because I'll tell you what, once I met that client, they were mine for life. 
you know, and it's, I don't get that anymore. But what I try to do wherever I am, any waiting room I'm in, I always go introduce myself and I talk to everybody and I, I ask them, how's your experience been? What can we do to be better? You try to build, a, you know, any relationship you can. But ultimately, when you're trying to grow your practice, it's never going to be quite the same as your original office where it was you and you were building it and it was relational. Now it's going to be a marketing business, you know, and I, I miss that part of it. As we've heard numerous times on this podcast, the most successful leaders attribute much of their success to one thing, knowing thyself and going all in on their strengths. So what is it that Glenn believes has gotten him to where he is today? You have to know your personality. I mean, some people are risk averse. It is what it is. You know, my daddy ended up in jail because he was a gambler. So I reckon I had that gambling gene inside me, but I never gambled. I think I, I bet on three football games my whole life. And, you know, before I met my wife, I gambled a few times, played some blackjack, but I wasn't, I only was willing to gamble on myself, but I gamble big on myself. You know, and there's a, you have to know who you are. Are you risk averse or not? I remember when I first started advertising, a guy came up to me and I'd just been advertising maybe a year or two. And he came up and he says, hey, man, Glenn, man, your practice has gotten so big. This is probably around 1999, 2000. He said, man, how much is your overhead? I was like, no, maybe, I don't know, 300,000 a month. He said, oh, my God, how do you sleep at night? And I said, I don't know. I never thought about it once until you just asked me. I never thought about it. It's just that's not my personality. I don't think about it. Now my overhead's, you know, five million a month. I don't think about it. It is what it is. If I don't make it, I don't make it. I've never thought about not making it because I know I'm going to make it. As simple as that. You have to know yourself. Glenn believes the brand or rather reputation of your firm is paramount. But brand isn't just shaped by your advertising. In fact, Glenn believes the number one thing you can do for your brand has nothing to do with TV, radio, or even billboards. Ultimately, I think the, the most important thing that we've done, and if I can tell anybody how to really improve their brand, but not doing it just to improve your brand, but because it's incumbent upon us, get involved in your communities. If we're not the most charitable law firm in the United States, we're certainly among the top. We don't do it to brag about what we do. We do it because it's just because of our faith. You can't just take from communities. You know, if you just want to keep taking, you're not going to get anything back. We do it because we know that it's just part of our walk. You know, for me, it's part of my walk with Christ to give back and to be involved. And, and I use it as an opportunity to evangelize because ultimately I think of myself more as an, as an evangelist now than a lawyer. But nevertheless, if you don't take the opportunity to get involved in your communities, you're going to miss out in something that's so absolutely rewarding. I think it keeps you grounded. In all honesty, I think it's the best marketing you'll ever do. But over the last two or three years, you know, we fed over 10,000 families each Thanksgiving. That's over 10,000 turkeys around the country and all the fixings. We pay for it all. We do it all. Then all our backpack giveaways, you know, 10,000 backpacks with all the school supplies and our golf tournament raises a half a million to all the stuff that we're involved in. And you know what? When you're doing that stuff, you know who benefits the most? Me. Because if you think you forget where you come from, sometimes when you see what everybody doesn't have, I think when you realize and you see this stuff, what you're able to do and how you can impact your communities, you know, we've been named the most charitable business, forget about law firm in Arizona, I think five years in a row. And people really appreciate it. I mean, you look at the number of followers we have on Facebook, which is, you know, it's a little antiquated Facebook, but I don't know if there's a law firm with more followers because 
we're always giving away things. We're always doing things. My partner has been amazing. It's been amazing what Kevin's done in this community, how well known he is, how beloved he is in this community for the things he's done and the lives we're touching. And people know that. People want to work with people that they know actually care about people who are not just in it for money. It's a blessing to kind of feel like Robin Hood, you know, especially coming from where I came from. And Glenn, so you, you at one point here, you mentioned the F word in, in Facebook, right? It, it, over the years, you've largely known as a traditional advertiser with, with TV advertising, billboards, and so on. But how do you see legal marketing? It's been changing. How do you feel the firm has been adapting to those things? Like, where do you see this going? Uh, I mean, obviously, for large TV advertisers like myself, I hate it, you know, because it it leveled the playing field. Let's be honest. It used to be you just put a bunch of money on TV and you it's almost a barrier to entry to most people unless they have your war chest. It's very difficult for them to compete. And even if they can't compete, I think our brand was superior, the, our approachability. But unfortunately, when you don't have you don't have your face, you don't have your voice, you don't have your personality in front of people. And it's just little lines on a page and anybody can do it for $10 a lead, $20 a click, $50 a click, $212 a click if you're advertising from mesothelioma. It levels that playing field and it's you got to be creative. Whereas on TV, you create a brand in that top of mind awareness. How do you do that online? And that's the hardest thing. So you spend millions and millions of dollars a year buying words, making your website tighter to be strong organically and this and that. I have no idea. It, <laughs> I'm, I'm too old. I have no idea, man. I just It's, it's going to change everything because every year... About five years ago, 60% of all marketing dollars were TV. Now it's down below 50% of all marketing dollars are on TV. And it's changing. Eventually, there won't be any TV. We know that within about 10, 12, 15 years, network TV in this daytime advertising, that's made us all household names in our markets. That's no longer going to be the name of the game. Everything's going to be streaming, and it's going to be everything online. But the cool thing about that, for what we do, autonomous vehicles will taken over by about 2035, 2040, and I'll be in a retirement home. So <laughs> I was just going to ask you if, if you know, if, what you were describing, if any of that worries you, but it, but it seems like it doesn't. Adaptation, you know, just got to keep adapting. I think, you know, we're looking for different ways to just grow the firm. I, I, I look at John Morgan's site sometimes, and I'm so impressed at some of the things he does. I didn't even know there are areas of law in some of the things he does. You know, so you realize you've got to keep doing different things. So now we're doing the business interruption claims, been doing mass torts for a long time. Ultimately, I think long term, I think my firm will, part of my firm will morph into a transactional practice, kind of like a Greenberg, Traurig, or any of those other firms where we start doing more just civil litigation and a lot of other things. What's a day in the life like for you these days? And, and what are some of the habits that you maintain that kind of keep you in, you know, in peak state? Used to be uh, usually travel eight to 10 days a month between the offices, just spreading good cheer and going over things. Right now, obviously, because of what's going on in the world, my travel's been curtailed quite a bit. This workout every day, I might take a day a month off of working out, but I'm a, I'm a workout warrior. I just like, it's just cathartic for me. So I've just always worked out my whole life. I've spent a lot of time with my wife. 
It's been a blessing, actually, you know, with the pandemic, having my youngest, who's a, a sophomore at NYU, having him home for this whole time, you know, because that was a hard thing for both of us, for our youngest to take off and go to college. So this has been really wonderful spending time with him the last four months. Uh, my middle daughter's been, her and her fiance live in our guest house. So it's been great spending time with them. I'm really with my family a lot. Uh, try to pop into the office every couple of days right now. You know, it's just, it's a little painful going into your offices though, because, you know, I was in the offices yesterday before I flew here for, to Vegas today. And uh, there might have been 15, 20 people total in, you know, a place that usually houses maybe 90, 100 people. And that's hard to see because everybody's, People are grinding and people are doing an amazing job from home. We haven't skipped a beat, but I'll tell you what, when you don't have people, even though people usually get more done at home because they're not cackling, they're not joking in the lunchroom, they're not taking their smoke breaks. And we have so many levels of accountability. We know who's doing what and when. So everything's getting done. But I miss people being together because there's some sort of an energy that's conveyed, that's passed between people when they get to work together in an environment. And that's, a, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, is this is a future of laws, a future, you know, especially with a lot of the big New York firms and what they're paying for rent and hoteling people, how they're going to do this going forward. But it's short term, I don't think you miss a beat. Long term, I think if you don't have people coming in and seeing each other on a regular basis, I think you'll see a culture disintegrate. You know, you can't, it's hard to keep a culture on Zoom. People need to be together. They need to talk to each other. They need to exchange ideas. I don't think that's ever going to change. And Glenn, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? I think if you want to be a game changing attorney, I think one of the most important things is to really understand people. I mean, you got to control the dynamics of a relationship, and it's pretty difficult to do that if you don't understand your clients and who you're dealing with. It's been kind of fun because I'm doing these business interruption claims right now, and we're representing a lot of lot of big, big places around the country. Guys, that you know, it's fun when you've you know achieved a certain modicum of success, and I, I say that humbly, and you get to deal with other successful people. It's kind of fun because, you know, for 29 years, I've been representing people that are basically sleeping on benches I advertise on, you know, so you're dealing with a different type of clientele. But if you understand your clientele, you understand how they think, you understand people, you know, so don't expect your clients to just be exactly like you are. You have to just treat people with respect and just appreciate them and be thankful that they're calling you, you know, be humble, everybody. That's a lot. You want to be a game changing attorney, be humble. You ain't that great. Nobody's that great. John Morgan. I love you, man. You ain't that great. Glenn Lerner. You ain't that great. Mike Morse. You ain't that great. Morris Bot, You ain't that great. You're only great because these people picked you. They called you, you know, they could have called some other schmo, but they picked you. Don't forget that. I want to give a huge thank you to Glenn Lerner for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what I found particularly interesting was the fact that there's many ways to grow a law firm. And whether you agree or disagree with Glenn's approach, there's no denying he's built one of the largest plaintiff firms in America. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Glenn Lerner, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. 
And join us next time and we'll be speaking to best-selling author of Never Lose a Customer Again, Joey Coleman, about how to create unique world-class client experiences that turn every interaction into an opportunity for lifelong loyalty. 42% of law firms took more than three days to get back to that client. 42%. I don't know about you. In my world, that does not equate to world-class, okay? That equates to, do you even care to have my business? That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. 